Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this monthly Market Insights, Phil Attreed, Head of Wealth Specialists, talks to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, about the inflation outlook and what it means for investors and the wider economy. Hello and welcome to this, the September episode of Monthly Market Insights. I'm Phil Attreed, Barclays Head of Wealth Specialists. Once again, I'm joined by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer, as we try to unpack what's been happening in the investment world uh, and, and what our investors can hope for in, in the weeks and months ahead. So, of course, Will, it has been a challenging and reflective few weeks from many perspectives, both here of course, in the UK, uh, but also in the world's financial markets as well. So from the investment team's perspective, what's the latest read on the state of the world economy? Yes, you're right, Phil, on all counts. So, I mean, as you know, this year uh, for the world economy has been mainly about the battle to bring inflation to heel. That was already a problem. You know, inflation had already stuck around a lot longer than people were looking for at the beginning of the year. So it was already one of the fights. And then came the Ukraine war. And that has obviously kind of made that worse. Now, you know, the year started off with central banks kind of removing their foot from the accelerator or lifting it from the accelerator. Increasingly, you're starting to see them slam the brakes on as well. Uh, and that really is where we're up to in, in sort of economic terms is the market debate is increasingly about, you know, two interlinked questions, which is how much damage, short term damage are the central bankers going to have to do to global economic momentum to you know, the global economy in order to preserve kind of medium term price stability, i.e. bring inflation back down to more manageable and levels consistent with their targets. Um, as we know, that's key for businesses, consumers and everyone to continue to operate. So it's a sort of price that they're, you know, almost whatever it is, it's a price that central banks are willing to pay on our behalf. Uh, and the other sort of interrelated question is, you know, at what stage will central bankers be able to start easing off this kind of these steepling interest rates we're continuing to see hit the wires uh, on on a weekly basis at the moment, uh, it feels like. And, you know, there was a glimpse of this during the summer, at least people thought there was, you know, when people thought that, well, maybe that inflation data is starting to ease off. And you can see the US central bank in particular start to sort of ease the pressure a little bit. Uh, and that's all big rallies in stocks and so on uh, and risk assets. But that seems so far uh, to have been a false dawn and that, you know, the, the sense is that there's still quite a lot further to go for central bankers uh, in terms of short term interest rates, which means that there's still potentially, you know, we're still only starting to experience the economic pain the world economy has got to go through to win this battle against inflation. Of course, uh, therein lies the challenge for investment markets trying to price in you know, both future risks and opportunities into different asset prices. But what are you and the team, I suppose, most worried about from the perspective of shorter term investment returns? Yes. I mean, again, it's really about inflation and, and back to that question. And I think there's there's a sort of live debate going on at the moment with regards to, and as you know, kind of the UK economy, it's very relevant to you and I and to all of our clients because we live here, quite a lot of it. And so, you know, we need it to do well. But from the perspective of global investment markets, it's almost irrelevant. All of the economic weather comes from the, all, all of the capital markets weather, I should say, and the economic weather comes from the US economy still. Now, the live debate there, um, and there were more contributors over the weekend to this, is how high is unemployment going to have to rise in order for, you know, inflationary pressures to subside? And, and if you think about it, you know, interestingly, you know, the US economy is running at the same level of unemployment as it did 
sort of back in 2019-ish, the difference that we see today is about the number of job openings. So how hard companies are competing for those people uh, those people out of work looking for work. Mm -hmm. And that's the big difference, really. And that's what central bankers are trying to bring down. Uh, they need to sort of soften or cool that competition for workers because there's just not enough workers to fulfill it for a start. Uh, and that's part of why wages are surging. So in a way, like there's some quite plausible economists seeing that sort of, you know, inflation needs to rise as much as to 6%. So, you know, quite a long way from where central banks are currently targeting. Others are more sanguine and saying, you know, look, actually, companies will start reducing job openings as they see the economy slow down. But it's difficult to say, but that is one of the sort of key concerns at the moment is just how much economic punishment to the central bank is going to have to inflict on the economy in order to, to bring inflation to heel. And the, the, the familiar response here, as you know, is like, beware those who are giving over confident answers to this. You know, if we knew exactly where inflation was going to be in the months ahead, then, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't be in this problem in the first place, you know, as a world rather than as a, you know, as a CIO. So just just beware over confidence here that only the fools are confident. And, and again, that old, uh, you know, I think I got it from, you know, one of our bosses of old days, you know, the greater the confidence you hear someone predict the future, the less you should trust them. That uh, that applies particularly to inflation, which remains an elusive and unpredictable force. Now, you know, for, for reassurance, you know, we do think the central bankers will ultimately be victorious in this fight. We don't think it has to be a sort of end of days recession in order to get us there. But we are very aware and positioned for the fact that, you know, it could the slowdown has a bit to go yet. And, it, you know, we think it's probably too early to sound the all clear for central bankers just yet, too. And so that's really what we're positioned for or the team is positioned for as a result. Yeah, it all does sound a little painful in the months ahead. And of course, that provides some pretty good headlines as well. You know, and those headlines provide very little to cheer. Yeah. Um, you know, both over the summer and, and, and months ahead. So, you know, the question we often get back to is why would you be looking, you know, to put money to work in investments, you know, even in a diversified portfolio right now, particularly in an environment where there's an expectation of higher returns on, on cash as interest rates start to rise? Well, it's a sort of contrarian answer to this, isn't it? Whereas sort of, you know, usually the crazier it feels to be invested, uh, the, the sort of, you know, the higher your expected returns, because you're sort of, you know, you're doing the opposite of what the crowd does. And that's, that's historically been quite a profitable short term mm. strategy. But in a way, I think you need to think more broadly than that. And, you know, one of the things to point out, you're right exactly on the sort of, you know, the higher short term rates. That's one of the things that's come along is that, well, real interest rates are still in negative territory in many countries, but certainly nominal interest rates mm -hmm. uh, are a bit more attractive than they've been for certain investors. But remember, those interest rates are part of our diversified multi-asset class portfolios. So we also adjust our asset allocation in order to reflect the higher uh, expected returns over time. That's something that we incorporate into our thinking across all asset classes. But the thing that you don't get access to, so you may be getting the higher short-term interest rates and relative to some returns on offer, it may seem more attractive to you as a certain type of investor, depending on your risk appetite and so on. However, you miss that call option on future human productivity. And that's what the rest of the investment portfolio offering is trying to play to, which you know too well. But that really is the is the thing. And I, and I think, you know, there's a couple of things to think about with this. And I always talk about, you know, we always talk about 
The likely fact is that you're in the interregnum in productivity terms between the ICT revolution, you know, the information communications technology revolution that's been going for the last few decades, and the wonders of the artificial intelligence revolution ahead, among many other things, to be honest, in terms of how that's going to change drug discovery, all sorts of uh, you know, supply chains, almost everything could be transformed potentially, and the other sort of wonders coming along. The old age-old argument here is you've got to be in it to win it. And part of that will be ownership of companies, which again, we confer in the multi-asset class funds and portfolios. The other quite interesting angle here I thought of is that, and this is with relating to, and it wasn't me that thought of it, I claimed. So I'm sitting on someone else's shoulders here, but someone much cleverer, more garlanded in academic terms. But one of the interesting points about the pandemic is, and we've talked before about the sort of technology that coalesced to sort of allow many people to continue to work and so on and then uh, communicate with loved ones and all those kind of things. And actually, if you look at some of the studies of what's missing in the US economy and in other economies over the last few years, it's that housing restrictions and the inability to expand cities infinitely, we don't want to expand them infinitely, has actually deprived um, the global economy of many opportunities in way. Because what you want to be able to do when you get economic hot zones, and this is particularly in the US, it was one of the strengths in the post-war period, that you get a hot zone, you want people to be able to move to it. And that was always the strength of the US in the past. You could throw your keys over your shoulder and move to where the economic activity was hottest. And some of these economists estimate that you missed around half of GDP since ni- between 1964 and 19, uh, 2009. So huge amounts of GDP have gone missing just because of depriving labor force oxygen to the really hot zones within the economy. Now you think about what this you know, what this technological revolution we've seen during the pandemic allows you to do. It allows you to pour more labor force forces uh, into the sort of hot zones of economic activity. So there's one of the sort of, and we're already seeing it in the UK as it goes. So getting the right people into the right positions is actually easier than it was in some ways. And that's part of the story that just shows this is what you're investing for. Technological progress, productivity advances, That's the long-term story and the bit that you really want to get incorporated. Because remember, most of the headlines that you're reading, the gloomy stuff, that's already incorporated in prices. That's pretty well understood by markets and investors. Uh, The sort of weighing machine is already incorporating that into prices. So you're acting on stuff, if you're selling, that's already there potentially. Yeah, and so sometimes sometimes those developments, those enhancements take some time to actually show up in the economy and show up therefore in investment markets as well. Would that be right? That's entirely right, Phil. And it it was always the case. There's a great example with um, electricity when factories moved from steam to electricity. And the first, you know, if you think about the old scale factories, what they used to do is just have uh, your energy source was just, you know, one big source of steam. Basically, that's where you got your energy from. So the first sort of when electricity came along or electrification came along, they just replaced one power source for the other. It took the next generation of factory managers to redesign the factory around this more flexible and safer source of energy for the productivity gains to be really reaped. And so that, in a sense, could be the case. Again, that's just one example of how brilliant people come along and think about a new innovation and how to incorporate it and improve our lives. Yeah, so hopefully that's the case with the multiple innovations that are coming down the pipe at the moment. And so, of course, the answer to the original question is cash in in and of itself is quite a uh, an extreme asset allocation in in and of itself uh, to to be sticking with in times like this. Totally right, and uh, you know that we always say like you know this is investing is an 
kind of nervy business in the short run. Uh, we need people like you talking to clients and reminding them, you know, keeping them cool and calm and not me, allowing you to sort of, you know, your, 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 your sang froid to sort of passing it on to investors. But you're right. And cash is part of our asset allocation as well. So we flex that appropriately uh, as we judge it against the returns and risks available in all other asset classes at the same time. So just be aware that you might be sort of double counting in a sense and doing what we're already doing to make sure that you know people are invested right for the long term. Great. Thanks as always, Will, for the insights. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us. And if you would like to hear more uh, between now and the next monthly Market Insights, please do seek us out at our regular weekly podcast, Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.